Cairo, Seattle. Judah Smith is a pastor in the Pacific Northwest. He's a son of a pastor. In fact, you'll hear this in some of his story. He's a seventh generation pastor, but he's a lot more than that. He's also the chaplain of the Seattle Seahawks, a team that so many of us have grown to love and admire and watching them in their runs to a world championship, but it's a seat so very different for him. It's inside those walls. It is finding common ground with players. It is being a friend, being a light to them, and finding so much relationship with them. So many of these podcasts that you've heard over a year and a half are about connecting. And Judah takes that opportunity in the chaplain seat as a real call and a real gift that he gets to share with these guys. You'll feel that passion he has for connecting with these players right at the intersection of their faith and the sport they play. Did you know as the son of a, of a pastor and and God bless your dad who's in heaven right now and, and what a man of God he was and what an imprint on so many people. Did you know that this would be your calling to be a pastor one day? Uh, certainly my dad never pressured me. Um, he was a son of a preacher. In fact, I'm the seventh generation preacher, I guess, um, which just means my family has got a lot of challenges and dysfunction as well. But uh, I, I heard the closest thing to the audible voice of God um, when I was, I think, 11 years old in Boise, Idaho, of all places, go Broncos. And um, I just kind of knew that I would be someone who would tell the story of Jesus and be a preacher. And um, so since 11 years old, it's what I've always wanted to do. Did I write this down right? You're a seventh generation. Seventh generation. Goes back to a circuit riding preacher, lady on a horse with a gun and a Bible. Seriously. True story. Talk to me about that. Well, have you uh, studied? She was pretty, have you, she was pretty intense. Have you studied I, all the generations? I think not all the generations, but I think when this lady rolled up in a horse and a gun with a Bible, I think she made converts real quick. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, my, my grandfather's name's Elwood. I was born on his birthday. His name was Elwood Smith, and he actually passed in Tacoma. Actually, hundreds of people were in his church in 1950 in Tacoma. Um, and so my dad would always say there's probably some sort of generational connection. We grew up in Portland until 1992, felt just the nudge to come to Seattle and build a community and, and uh, help people follow Jesus. So I kind of do feel like I'm following not only in my dad's footsteps, but my grandpa's. So 11 years old was the was the pivotal turning point, would you say? Do you remember that pretty vividly? Very, very vividly. Um, so vividly, my dad was preaching. My dad got done preaching, went side stage. I snuck out, which I rarely did, to see my dad. And my dad said, son, you know, I'll meet you at brunch. We were going out with our cousins and... I said, oh, okay, Dad. And he said, what's going on? And I just bawled and bawled, couldn't stop crying for probably an hour. We both got on our knees. And he uh, kind of dedicated me to whatever God's plan was for my life. And from that day forward, you've done nothing but walk with the Lord, right? Well, well, um, <laughs> I really wanted to play in the NBA momentarily, Brock. That was the goal. But again, I didn't have your height or your athletic ability. Right. I figured God could use me if I was, you know, a sharpshooter in the league. That just never panned out at six foot one and a half. And uh, I run a 40 of uh, <clears throat> six, nine flat. <laughs> Talk to me a little, though, about the journey from 11 to, to where we sit today. Um, I, honestly, I, I feel like uh, I was really blessed um, to have a, a dad that I had. And I realize so many people listening right now don't have that opportunity. And um, that is something that I'm grateful every day. Though my dad passed at 60, people would ask, are you mad at God? You know, he died of cancer. And I, th- I thought to myself, um, 
boy, I got, I got the best dad for 60 years, you know, 30 of my life. And that's something to be so grateful for. So my dad made following Jesus so fun and so um, likable that I, I actually was the kid who was like, I, I just really enjoy following Jesus. My dad didn't promote um, tradition as much as he promoted a person whose name was Jesus. And so I love the church. Um, but I, 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 I met Jesus in church and that's why church mattered so much to me. So, um, I thank my dad and mom for that. Uh, but again, at 16, I was determined, you know, AAU ball, all these things that I'd someday would make the big leagues. Um, I just didn't know it would be via the chaplaincy. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't wait to get to some of this. And it was cool. Judah, last year we had the chaplain for the Mariners and the Sounders, Tim Gatos, and Nancy from the Storm came in as well, Nancy Cahill. And to get some of their perspective was neat. Uh, Chaplains have played an enormous role in my life as well. Uh, Mike Rohrbach at the University of Washington. Mike Gunn was with Athletes in Action and, and Mars Hill Church. And then Carl Payne here with the Seahawks. Eric Simpson with Indianapolis coming back and having Carl. Like, And they have played such an enormous role. So eventually, uh, over the course of this time together, we will certainly get to that hat that you wear. But you navigate, you walk through your teenage years, your basketball and hoops dreams, unfortunately, <laughs> die away. In high school, college. Issaquah High School. Issaquah High School. They <laughs> came and they went. Uh, you move on to college, and you quickly figure out that this is what you want to do. You want to do ministry. It was actually senior year Las Vegas uh, Invitational. Tracy McGrady was there, and I watched him play. Uh, we lost in like the quarterfinals, and my dad happened to come with me since it was a trip to Vegas with my high school team. It's amazing how my dad decided to join that trip. Should probably be a part of that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> and I watched Tracy McGrady play, and I said, I am so done. I will never play basketball again because that's what it's supposed to be like not what I do and finally was like okay God I'm gonna you know whatever you want me to do um started into Bible college and then became a custodian at my dad's church and I missed those days but man cleaning the ladies bathroom was a journey wow. um I'll just leave you it started that. pops made you start at the very bottom yeah and Probably I, I, I listen to Bishop Jake's every day yeah. I mean it was it was back when you know I'm playing uh tapes and CDs hmm. it was fun the intersection of faith and sports as you go from janitor and you start to grow in your role at the church, did you ever envision when you were 22 that you'd be sitting here, what, almost 20 years later going, man, really? No, no. I wanted to be my dad's youth pastor for the rest of my life. Um, I loved going on high school campuses, college campuses, going to UW. Um, I, I still get to do a little bit of that, but I miss it a lot. Um, my ultimate goal in life was to work with students for the rest of my life. Um, I think they are the force of the world. I think when God gets a hold of a young person's life, uh, history records, they literally change the trajectory of history. And so I'm still passionate about young people. Jesus picked 12, essentially teenagers, maybe minus Peter being potentially 21. So there's, there's so much there that I, that I still enjoy. And you'll find me a lot hanging out with teenagers. Um, it keeps us young, I suppose. I'm, I'm 39. Are you 40? Uh, barely. Oh, I'm not even, you're 40, I'm still in my 30s. 42, yeah. Man, this feels (laughs) good. Maybe I'm close to mid-40s, yeah. Man, you're close to 50. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, we sidetracked. Still still closer to 40 than 50. Now, did you also, did you get married as a teenager? Uh, Basically, uh, I got married uh, a month into my 21st year on the planet, and uh, to the woman um, 
my only girlfriend, her mom and my mom were pregnant together at the same time, best friends. And they said, let's have a boy and a girl and we'll get them married and it'll be perfect. And that's literally what happened. How ridiculous is that? Is that true? I believe in arranged marriages. What can I say? Is that, is that really true? That's an absolute fact. Wow. Wow. And her, and her last name was Smith already. And my last name is Smith. But we are not you know, related. Let's not go down that road. That's a little too much. We that's for another punk. <laughs> right. We're not cousins. <laughs> Uh, so you get married, you're young love, you're a youth pastor, man, you're rocking it. You're rocking it. You're back on some of these campuses, but ultimately there was more. Yeah. Ultimately, there was going to be more than just being a youth pastor. That transition? That leads to a, basically a donut shop. Um, my dad had been fighting cancer at that point for several years. Uh, at his original diagnosis, they said you got three months to live, maybe six to nine months. He ended up living uh, more than six years miraculously. I mean, a real miracle. And it wasn't until really the end that that his body really started to um, dramatically decay. But uh, at that donut shop, um, my mom says uh, in Oregon, she says, so are you ready? And I was like, ready for what? You know, ready for sprinkles, ready for, you know, a maple bar. And she's like, are you ready? And I'm like, yeah, for what? She's like, to lead the church. And I was like, yeah, no. And she's like, "Uh, we've talked to the board. We believe that you're the choice. And I'm like, mom, I don't know. And it was... uh, it was not one of those moments where I was like, it's, a, it's my time, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm ready for this. I had watched my dad and all that comes with pastoring and leading the expectations. It's um, probably not near of what an athlete experiences, but maybe a small percentage of what an athlete such as yourself playing QB, there's a bit of, bit of criticism slinging that ball around. And um, when you're up and on stage doing your best to share the message of Jesus and the story of Jesus, you're not going to bat a thousand. And that can be difficult, but... Uh, I said yes. Uh, I felt How like old I was were you at that point, Judy? Uh, I was t- well. That conversation, I was twenty nine, um, but thirty is when I started leading the church, mm-hmm. and I'm now thirty nine. It almost <laughs> feels a little like Moses and Aaron. Like I'm not. Uh uh-uh, uh. Uh-uh. I was definitely the reluctant, and I don't maybe don't come across that way, but I was very reluctant. Adults are very complicated, and yeah. I really love being with young people. Yeah. And I didn't know if I had what it took. And I think in a matter of nine months, I kind of ran out of like what I thought was like a couple of good sermons. And uh, it was a real, it was a real time of trust in God. And fast forward just a few years after that, four, five, six years, an opportunity comes to uh, do what really brings us here today. And that is the opportunity to be the chaplain of the Seattle Seahawks emerges. To be honest, it was uh, surprising to say the least, although I did feel like I could be kind of like that last resort QB if necessary. Right. Emergency. We call those emergency QBs. Okay. Emergency. I'll take that. Uh, QBE. (laughs) QBE. Uh, I do kid with the guys that I'll just take the QB3 role. But um, yeah, I was asked and and, and really blown away. To be honest, at first I was like, I don't know if I can be there as much as you guys need me to be there. And it was like, no, if you could just really, you know, um, preach the gospel to us for chapels and really focus on that and, Jay Rainey, Jonathan Rainey, who's a dear friend of mine, we work together, and so he's able to kind of assist, and we kind of uh, are a good complement to each other. And um, man, I I just have to say, I've learned so much from from Coach Carroll. I've learned so much from his leadership, so much from how much he cares and loves for for young men, even though it is a business. Um, and I can't say enough good things about Russell Wilson and his leadership, his faith, his courage. Um, it's been. Uh, to me, I don't. I, I hope I'm sharing something that matters, but I feel like I get to learn a lot in this position, and I am very, very grateful and blessed. Well, let's do this. What did you learn when you poured into 
teenagers is, is a youth pastor for all those years. And what have you learned pouring into adults? And then we'll get to the pro athletes in a second that are kind of right in between those at times. <laughs> a unique breed. Yes. Um, young people that, uh, unfortunately, the world's moving so fast and technology is changing our social engagements. It's changing um, our eye contact. It's changing our behavior. And um, even back when I was youth pastoring, someone who would listen, um, someone who didn't try to care but actually cared, um, could make a difference that you wouldn't even believe. And I thought that being gregarious, charismatic, magnetic, being able to walk on campus and go, hey, I played ball, all that, it matters about maybe 1% if that. Uh, really loving people. I don't know, Brock. I, I get a little bit concerned sometimes because I still think the love of God that emanates from an authentic heart um, is is transformative. And I wonder sometimes if we're all so goal-oriented and driven that we forgot to do the most important thing, and that's to love and to care. So I think I learned at a young age, like, man, if I just care, if I truly show care and concern for teenagers and young people, um, man, they'll listen. And by the way, it was not hard to see people attend service and come to church. It was like, and, and, and maybe I'm oversimplifying it, but it was like the easiest thing. Cane Hall on Wednesday nights, we would just see, because there was love in the room. There was genuine care and concern. And our motto was, whether or not you believe in God, we got way more in common than not. And, and that is that we're all human beings at the same time in human history. And we're trying to figure out this complicated life and we need each other. So at least come for a hug, at least come for a high. And if you hate my Jesus, who I love, and you're going to find out real quick, I'm a Jesus guy. I mean, this was kind of like preliminary sermon comments. It just like eliminated all these barriers and walls that are arbitrary anyways. Like, let God be God, you know? And so it it was an amazing experience that changed me forever. And I, I must say that the challenge with adults kind of is the same thing. It's only um, a little more layered because there's uh there's this thing called been there done that and there's this thing called history that you have to deal with a 14 year old goes sure done i'm in that sounds amazing best thing i've heard in my life a 38 year old goes yeah man i've heard that before and um only god can supernaturally take history which is a real thing and hurt and pain and experience and transcend that with his truth. Because we do believe that truth is transcended even beyond experience. Truth is not subject to experience. Truth shapes our experiences. Our experiences don't shape truth. And so trying to embody that and walk that out with adults can be layered and complicated. But I love loving the long way. The long game always wins out. Relationships. Like, hey, I love you. And I'm going to be here even if you don't attend church. And I liked, as a pastor, I like to, you know, when adults are at church, it's like, thanks for being here. That's amazing. Well, hey, I haven't been here for three months. Yeah, but you're here now. Come on. I just think it's amazing that you're here and you're leaning in and you're considering God or you're following Jesus. And you're, to me, that's like, let's celebrate the fact that, um, you know, we, we got a shot at this. You know, Judah, as you're sitting here talking, I think I shared the story on one of my podcasts in season one, but first of all, you said 14, I was 14. And a youth pastor came in by the name of Scott Sears into my life. He eventually married Molly and I. But you know what he did, man? He just loved. He just put his arm around. He just spent that quality time that you're right is so hard in this day and age to find. Is that a charge to your youth pastors still that the people on your pastoral staff 
to largely still do the same? Yeah, because I think, you know, when it comes to, it's amazing how we'll use terms like, I, I led someone to the Lord. T- to be honest, we can't lead ourselves to the Lord. So we certainly can't lead anybody else to the Lord. Um, but I can spend time with people. Uh, I can show them the love of God, but I can no more lead myself than lead you to the Lord. So we actually, that's not really the role we play. I'm a, I'm a sower of, of the seed of God's love, but I'm not a savior. And that was one day, I think I was 20 something. And I'm just like, we got to see young people saved. And I just felt almost the sense. You're not a savior, bro. You're a sower. Just sow some seed of love, time, care, concern, compassion, empathy, mercy. Just sow the seed of who I am. And uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and save people. I've been saving people for a long time. My track record, track record's pretty good. And I'll keep saving people after you're gone. That takes the pressure off, that's for sure. Okay, now let's transition to that in-between world. Molly and I, my wife Molly, and you've met Molly, we talk all the time about this bubble that we lived in when we were pro athletes for six years. It was just a bubble. And, and we had great accountability. We had a great Bible study. We had amazing. I mean, John Kitna was a rock, still a rock. Todd Peterson, was we called him Little Peter, was a rock. He's still a rock. Grant Williams was a rock. He's still a rock. All these rocks, man, these incredible guys that the Lord just put around us and surrounded us with and wives as well. And yet I look back at that and Molly and I still joke around and like, man, we were in such a bubble, right? We were still part student athlete. We were certainly not a developed <laughs> adult. Like we're right in between. And here's some of the ministry that you're called to right now as well. How do you engage that professional athlete of today? I'm reminded, um, you remember when, when Paul goes to the major metropolitan city, uh, he goes to, he goes to Rome and he goes there, he's planted churches, he's done a lot of things in ministry, but he goes there and he goes on the foundation of his Roman citizenship and he says, hey, I'm here to appeal to your moral compass, to your laws as a fellow citizen and, and then, of course, as a preacher of Jesus. The reason that I think that applies is what I've learned about the bubble is what I've accomplished in terms of within the the community of church is wonderful. But when inside the bubble, we have got to get down to not you, the football player, and me, the pastor, or you, the kicker, me, the book, whatever, right? Okay, let's just talk about as human beings, let's get down to the level, which I think was the strategic uh, move of Paul. It's very interesting because you can get really wonky with it and people are like, wait, are you saying he didn't mention his church? He didn't. He didn't say, hey, I'm here as the, ch- the pastor of this church that I founded. He said, I'm here as a Roman citizen, just like you. Let us reason together. And I think in my short experience is when people of renown and people who, who are in stages and things, if we can get down to, okay, we actually have something profoundly in common because I think the misnomer is, hey, man, good talk, love the scripture, great study. You have no idea what I'm going through. And to be honest, the only response I can give is, of course, you're right. But as citizens, not only of this country, but as human beings, and then for those that are Jesus followers, we actually, wait a second here, we have a lot in common. I know that you're QB1. Or I know that you're running back. I know that you're linebacker. But you know what? Actually, first and foremost, we're, 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 we're men. We're in this country together. Well, wait a second. We actually have a lot in common. And I think 
that connection, and I think of Carl and others who've done such a great job, and they find that, here it is again, the common ground to say, hey, man, we're actually in this together. But until that point, it's kind of like good talk from the preacher, but he doesn't get my world because I'm so-and-so or I'm a, you know, I'm a Seahawk. And that barrier um, is a challenge. Um, for, but the gospel, truth is transcendent. Whatever bubble you're in, well, I'm sure we all have levels of bubbles that we're in. I know pastors can get bubbles, I'll tell you that much. Um, it's truth that's supposed to burst the bubble and transcend all that and be a, a, a level playing field. I think the reason racism is so uh, 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 horrible and painful and deplorable and, and, and demonic in the world is because to despise another person means that you have completely missed the fact that you are that person. I am that man. Remember what Jesus said? He said the parable, he said, there's a, two men go to pray at the temple, and the one stands up and says, God, thank you. And he looks at this essentially homeless man who is clearly a sinner, and he goes, thank you, God, I am not that man. And the other man at the temple gets on his knees, falls on his face, beats his chest, Jesus says, and says, God, I am not worthy even to lift up my head. I am a wretched, horrible, wicked sinner. And Jesus says, which man was heard that day in the temple? It was the man who realized this is who I really am. The man standing in arrogant pride could not realize the man he despised was the man he was. I love it. And this is the deepest podcast we've had yet. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sure there are going to be some like, dude, just tell me Slow some stories, down. man. Just tell me football stories. This is like a lot of faith and a little of sport, but I love it, bro. And it's as you say that, how then do you connect? How do you encourage those that just are so elevated? Right? When I think of a lot of the pro athletes a lot of them love to elevate themselves, right? And, and, and the world elevates them anyway, especially today, the guys with the social media world that you talked about. So how do you get them? How do you relate? I think um, the Bible says the, it's the goodness of God that leads someone to repentance. There's a deep word. Repentance, right, is this 180-degree complete change of mind, perspective, and change of direction. And that kind of transformation is what we say Jesus does in our lives. But the Bible makes it clear that the story of God is said to be this word gospel, right? The gospel is, by definition, not bad news. It's good news. And it's also to be treated like news. News is breaking. News is now. News is powerful. News is not old. News is new. It's in the word news. And so the newness and freshness of the story of Jesus is in his goodness and what he's done for us and taken our place. And I truly believe that is transcendent no matter who you are or the platform that you hold. And so for me, um, I think the approach is always to first come with the good news. Here's the good news. Here's the good news, bro. We're all broken. We're all dying. Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. Here's the good news. God's not mad at you. He loves you. Here's the good news. He knows what you did on the weekend. God loves you. And that is... Uh, Boy, that's hard to turn down over and over and over and over. You had hard conversations. You have a teenage yeah. daughter. I think our kids yeah. almost line up, but you've got a teenager now too. Yep. And uh, man, I spend a lot of time talking to all my kiddos just about hard conversations. Give me some hard conversations. Coaches with friends, with peers. Can you have hard conversations with pro athletes? Is that your job? You, you bring the good news. You ever feel like it's your job to also have some of those hard conversations? I think when there is relationship established, 
I think hard conversations are incredibly productive. I think the, the challenge that we have when we shout from the cheap seats or even from the corner of the streets, which I'm not saying is inherently wrong, it just lacks relationship, which in the life and ministry of Jesus, I think we can make a very strong biblical case that relationship was key. Um, you can talk about Zacchaeus uh, and others where Jesus is you know, going to their space, going to their home bonding with them over a meal, dinner, and establishing relationship. And then we see incredible transformation. So I do think that a part of uh, any follower of Jesus is establishing relationship to show the care and concern that, that Jesus has for people. And then I think the com- the hard conversations, they uh, they have a way of just coming about. It's amazing. And I find incredible productivity. I would say I failed in that royally early on. Um, not so much in the chaplaincy, but in other areas with athletes and in, in high school ministry and that sort of thing, I would be like, Hey man, let me tell you three things. It's like, I just met, you know, the starting forward for Issaquah high school or, or Ballard. And I'm like, Hey man, you need to change this. And he's like, dude, what's your name again? Um, and so that's usually not very productive, but when there's established care and relationship, we've had some amazing productive conversations. And can I say that I've had, uh, some of the players challenge me who love Jesus, who are like, hey, man, here's the truth. Talk to me. You don't have to, obviously, there will be no names mentioned, but talk to me. Take me into a conversation. Um, hey, man, are you only about celebrities? So you take this job just because you want to be around famous players? Why would you ask that? I don't know. I'll look at your Instagram. I don't know. You're, you, you, what's the size of your church again? Um, and I can either go, hey, man, who do you think? You know, or I can go, man, can we talk about that? Why do you feel that way? Um. Hey, man, uh, you're silent on this issue. So you don't believe in that, huh? So you guys are on this issue. Hey, so which, wh- who'd you vote for? Whoa, 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 whoa. Why would you ask that? I don't know, man. I heard, really? Where'd you hear that from? Well, and um, I had coaches confront me. Hey, I saw an interview you did on this show, and you never really mentioned this. So you don't believe this? No, I, I do. Well, I think next time you should do a better job. You know what? That's a really good point. Um, and that's awesome experience. Can I just say a lot of lead pastors are kind of surrounded by their own staff, you know, and, and I get the privilege of having a coach walk up and confront me about what he heard on a podcast. And I'm like, this is really good for me. And it's going to help me grow in my love for Jesus. And hopefully in the way that I represent him. How about your clothes? Anybody ever mention about your clothes? <laughs> Listen, Brock, every stinking, like, can we say stinking on air? Every stinking day at practice, I get absolutely hammered by the guys. I mean, they are all over me. So I, and if you're Russ, if you're listening, Doug, if you're listening, uh, Michael B, if you're still, I know you're listening from New York where I, I love you. I miss you, but you need to leave me alone. <laughs> no, I'm serious. How about the, what, what makes you think you can come into this radio studio? I mean, look I'm colorblind, I, bro. That clash is like, I, I, I don't even see color, and I could tell that clash. It's mustard orange. It really is. I'm trying to think, what is this, like Montana colors? <laughs> University of Montana, Grizzlies? Now let's come on back, man. You're right. Those profound conversations help shape us. Jude, I was at a conference um, in the in what is in the spring and i had a chance i was it was with some coaches and commissioners and athletic directors i had a chance to sit on my hands or do i want to just come out and kind of share what and you could call it some spirit led this was not you know a church function by any stretch it was it was about college athletics 
and you could just feel some of that leading. Like, don't just sit on your hands. Don't just sit on your hands, man. This actually will be hard. This is going to be hard when it comes out of my mouth. I don't really want to say this, but this is some just eyewitness testimony truth. Here it is. This conference is failing, and this is what I've witnessed. And so we just had it out. Man, it was awesome. It was like an hour and a half of just engagement and back and forth. And do you find that when you come into those conversations with coaches or players, that either maybe you initiate, you feel led, or they feel back to you, that you're fed in a way that you're not otherwise? Completely. If there is a bubble and whatever that means, the platform, which is given to elite athletes or elite minds who end up our coaches, there is a confidence that comes with that, that actually um, is helping me grow as a, as a worshiper of Jesus, because there's a confidence. Um, if you've worked your way up to the top of your skill in football or another sport, you're probably not afraid to tell a pastor what you think. And uh, I think God's using that in my life. And I, uh, I welcome it. I love it. I think it's a rare gift. But I've got to be strong as well at times as a, as a fellow citizen, as a fellow Jesus follower, to be like, well, man, here's, here's how I see it. Here's how I feel. That's good, too. It's crazy when you hear the players go, you were in a video. Why weren't you there? Why weren't you there in person on Sunday? I was there. Why weren't you there? You know, it's like me not showing up for a game. And I was like, well, not totally. We do have multiple locations and multiple services, but I hear you. Here's my perspective on that. And that's a, that's a cool engagement to help us uh, grow. Kind of like this bubble thing. I told you, I have no idea where these podcasts go. Uh, I don't know if you write notes when you listen to things or whatever, but all I'm feeling are these bubbles, right? This pro athlete bubble, your pastor bubble, sports radio bubble, all these little bubbles that we all live in. And you're right. Ultimately, we just want to splatter them. We all want to just connect as best we possibly can. Help me answer this. For these players, so many of them spend their life being impenetrable, not being vulnerable, I was around Peyton Manning for a couple of years. He was guarded, and rightfully so. There was a bubble of protection around him, some trust that you had to try to really cultivate and develop. How do you, I guess, build that trust? How do you encourage those that in some ways their industry, their job, their very being is to be, man, impenetrable? I'm not going to show any weakness. I'm not going to show any vulnerability. How do you equip and train those to be vulnerable and connect? Outlast them. Outlove them. Don't give up. I wish someone would have told me that sooner. I got answers that weren't always the honest truth. It gets messy. It gets painful. It gets hurtful. But stick around. And I have no idea how certain relationships have happened in my life. I I really mean that. But our paths crossed by the grace of God, certain people who have platform, and God said stick around. And there were years at times we didn't talk. Months, there was no interaction. Stick around. Communicate love. Communicate care. And you're right. There are people uh, who have influence, such as professional athletes. The trust level, is uh, it has to be earned. I mean, it's difficult to know. There's so many people leveraging people of influence. And um, I don't see Jesus leveraging people. I see Jesus loving people. And um, once that love is seen, and that your love is going to override any urge to leverage this person. There's like, oh my word, I have been dying to find someone I can pour my heart out to. It is such a sacred thing to me. It's a holy thing to me to not leverage people. Um, and that's true of all of our relationships. I think as Jesus followers, we're supposed to be the last people in the world that leverage each other. Um, we're to serve each other. And if we're all serving each other, like the early church, there's not one person who will lack. Yeah, I like that. 
20 years or so you've been in this. You said about 19 or so and started to go to Bible college and you've been in this. Have you seen that need for authenticity, that need for those bubbles to burst, grow? Not only have I seen it, it, it's one of the most needed. It's urgent. It's an epidemic. And it's the epidemic is growing. You know, now we're getting deep and heavy again, you know, but it is what is happening. Sports pretty soon. With, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's you and I weren't raised on Instagram. We weren't. And it that does something to your brain. And you can um, present yourself in a way that maybe isn't completely the actuality of who you are. And so authenticity becomes a greater and greater and greater hurdle. You know what I honestly believe? I think um, there are a lot of people living today who don't know how to be vulnerable. They don't know how. And I think we're running, some of us run around and go, you should be vulnerable. And I think individuals are like, how would I ever do that? I wasn't raised to be vulnerable. I never had space to be vulnerable. What does that even mean? And that's where the love of God over a long period of time wins out. And I think there's incredible healing and incredible growth. We talked um, a little while ago before this started. We communicated a little bit about compassion. Mm. I told you the story of how well, a couple bubbles collided on an airplane ride. <laughs> And they came to be a part of this podcast. Jessica is, um, and so it's been eight, nine years with Jessica and um, Compassion has been just incredible. But the more I have met the folks at Compassion, and I know you have as well, you feel their authenticity. Maybe because they travel globally to a lot of places they don't have Instagram and have any of the mess that we have, right, as citizens of those places. Talk to me about compassion, how it's connected to you as well. Yeah, uh, our, our our community is very connected to compassion, and I'd like to publicly thank um, compassion. And to be to be clear, you didn't ask me to do this. Um, I brought it up. In fact, I have a story. Uh, my daughter, who's now nine, but when she was, I want to say, probably seven or eight, uh, we have two compassion children, and one of them is a, is a young girl about the same age as my Grace, our little girl. And uh, I didn't know, but at school, she wrote her compassion um, girl a note. And I found it laying around one day. And she probably meant to show me, but forgot. And uh, I'm going to try to remember it verbatim because it, you know, for a dad, as you know, or any dad listening or mom, this is like kind of what you dream of. And it read something like, hi, my name is Grace. I want you to know that you are loved. Our family loves you. And I'm trying to pray for you every day. I want you to know that you can have a good day. Jesus loves you. And, you know, it's all kind of not spelled right. And if there's anything I can do for you, um, I would like to do that. Grace. And you're just having this moment. I'm reading this. And, of course, I'm, you know, bawling. I'm definitely emotionally unstable. And I'm bawling. And I'm like, maybe there is a God. God, you're there. And you're touching my little girl. And compassion gave us the opportunity to uh, put that in the heart of my children, to start thinking of, of life beyond themselves and care. And, and uh, those letters have become really special things. My boys have written letters as well. They're not nearly as good as the little girl. But uh, so I, 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 I would thank Compassion for that. What an incredible opportunity. It is such a small investment on our part, mm-hmm. but is truly life, life-changing. life And your community, you mentioned your community, the, the city church community, 
has also been invested and partnered and loved with compassion. Yeah, I don't want to misquote, but I know we've uh, at least hundreds. I think that's a really small number, but at least hundreds of compassion children we've been able to sponsor, if not more. We're going on trips uh, almost monthly to uh, visit compassion children and see them, meet them, love them, hug them, bring gifts to them. And who's the most blessed? We are the most blessed, far more blessed to give than to receive. So lastly here, Judah, let's bring this home just a little bit, right? Is you are a gifted pastor and anybody that's been listening for the last 30 to 40 minutes and listens to you weekly and, and finds the city church and finds your message and everything is online and everything is available. Kind of let's land the plane. And do you land the plane? Do you try to do that? Do you try to land the plane <laughs> at the end of a sermon? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Every chapel, the, 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 the you ever see anybody right, do we're this? Land the plane. Does yeah. anybody ever give you wings out in the audience? I've never seen the, I've no? never seen the wings. <laughs> your wife yeah. or your other pastor. I've seen this, <laughs> you know, end yeah. now. Yeah. Like let's, let's, let's end this thing right yeah. now. For those that just, and you gave some wonderful counsel to just outlast, right? To continue to stay by the side. And I love that. And it's powerful. How do you love well? How do you become and realize we can all do this thing? What is that counsel? It starts with breakfast uh, with Jesus. It's Peter after he's denied Jesus uh, three times. He is disgusted with himself. The gospel records he's gone back to his old job. He's gone back to fishing. Um, Jesus appears to Peter in almost the identical way he did before, cashing in on the other side. They catch a fish. Peter looks on the shore. He realizes it's Jesus. He jumps in, gets there, and something miraculous happens there. And I truly believe it is the only catalyst to love well. Jesus has this awkward, wonky conversation with Peter, and it goes something like this. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Feed my sheep. Peter. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know that I feed my lambs. What's happening there? Has Jesus forgotten that Peter loves him? No, 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 no. Jesus knows Peter loves him. Peter doesn't know if he loves Jesus anymore. And that was Jesus making breakfast. By the way, Jesus makes breakfast. Jesus is a breakfast guy. That's awesome, by the way. I love making breakfast. Side note, that's awesome. Eggs, bacon. (laughs) I'd tell you what, the breakfast of champions. Um, but, But Jesus is there reminding Peter, you do love me. I put that love in you. You know, if there's someone listening right now, particularly in the sports world, which can be manic and crazy and wild, and that bubble can be filled with temptation, and they find themselves discouraged because I denied Jesus, I failed, I did what I promised my spouse I would never do, my marriage is on the rocks, I'm not going to make it, I took this coaching position, we live in two different cities, my life is over, I sacrificed my ultimate moral compass, what am I ever going to do? I think if Jesus could... Could, could take you to breakfast, he would, and he would tell you, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And the only response was, you only know. And his response is, I know. Yes, you do love me. And because I put that love in you, and my love is unconditional for you, you can go now, and you can love well. And history records, Peter had a pretty good track record from that point on. And um, I always go back to that, that breakfast um, by the sea with Jesus and remind myself, I do love Jesus. I really do love Jesus. I failed, but I love Jesus. And most importantly, I love him because he first loved me. Above and Beyond, the intersection of faith and sports. Subscribe to receive every episode at aboveandbeyondpodcast.com.